Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Monday, November 6, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on on this fine Monday? Oh, man, not too much, Matt. Um, it is just really cold out. And I'm not sure if I'm ready for um, these cold temperatures, uh, especially with the 76 degree day we had last week. I'm still I'm still trying to get used to the this cold weather. So yeah, I'm seeing high of 61 for today. By the time that you are listening here in New York, but for me, while we're recording right now, 44 degrees. Brutal. Wind gusts are up to 20 miles per hour. So it's it's chilly. It is a chilly chilly start to. Uh, I know fall already started, but like it, it feels like fall once eh, I was going to say October hits. Yeah. But lately October has been like pretty warm still, which is unfortunate. I also hope that everyone um, remembered to set their clocks back. Yeah. We're on Verizon standard time. But speaking of things that you shouldn't be forgetting, tomorrow is election day. If you didn't do early voting or mail-in voting, please go vote. Voting's important. Vote on the local level, on the state level, vote on the national level. Just vote like for no other reason than you can't complain, which we we tend to do a lot of on this show. Oh, unless yeah. Unless you are actively exercising your right to, to vote and to have a say in that. So, yeah, definitely go vote. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's get into today's show. Before we get into it, we have a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, we have two stories for you today. The first one is by Hiroko Tabuchi and Tristan Spinsky of the New York Times. And they write, Inside Poland Springs, hidden attack on water rules it didn't like. Yeah, so we're going to fact check me from Friday's episode. Um, I said that after the break, this is what we were going to be talking about. And by after the break, I meant after the weekend. <laughs> and depending on if Nick remembers to edit that part out of Friday's show, you might have no idea what I'm talking about. So we'll, we'll figure this all out on the fly together. This article is specifically about Maine's lawmakers trying to tighten regulations on the state's freshwater before a company called Blue Triton got involved. And before we get into that story itself, you know that this is not an isolated incident that has only happened in Maine. We aren't going to get too far into the need for protecting freshwater, but in short, we are overusing groundwater in many places in the U.S. Climate change is going to increase drought prevalence, so it's important to make sure that we are sustainably consuming water and not wasting it on things like golf courses in Phoenix, Arizona, for example. Preach. Anyways, 
Blue Triton owns Poland Spring, which I found out through this article is not a commercially viable natural spring in Maine due to overuse. So the the actual spring that the company was named after can't even get water for it anymore on a commercial level. Maine lawmakers have proposed a bill that was set to impact the company's access to groundwater before one of the company's lobbyists urged lawmakers to, quote, strike everything. And they did just that. Blue Triton has been part of similar legal battles in other states, including Michigan and Colorado. It opposed this bill in Maine because it claimed it would make investment in infrastructure and operations unaffordable for large-scale water purchasers. The article says that water bottle manufacturers as a whole have been criticized for plastic pollution, their use of marketing to convince the public that water bottles are safer and healthier than tap water, and for their business model of cheaply buying water and selling it to the public after a markup. States have the right to regulate their own freshwater systems, so unfortunately this usually means little coordination by the federal government. And that has helped Blue Triton take up multiple legal battles throughout the country, And to be honest, I would recommend just checking out the article in your show notes to see the map of where Blue Triton facilities are located. They're all over. Some local water utilities, specifically in Maine, say the revenue generated by selling water to bottlers helps keep costs low for others. But hydrologists, on the other hand, warn that bottled water should not be discounted as an additional strain on aquifers and watersheds, as well as on residential wells. Now, look, we can go on about this for a while, but we like to keep these shorter Monday episodes in the 10 to 15 minute range. So I'm just going to encourage you to check out the article. And Nick, let's just chat about how we're feeling about Blue Triton. And again, this is not isolated. So how we're feeling about private developers overusing aquifers and making a ton of money off of this natural resource. Yeah, I'm going to use a line that we used to say in um, high school all the time. This is mad shady. (laughs) Um, it's just mad shady. It's, it's like, why, why are you doing this? I'm, I'm missing the point is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. It's money. Like the point, the point of this is Poland spring as a company and all the other types of water that are associated with Poland spring under this blue Triton umbrella, they make a ton of money off of getting very cheap water rights from the States and then selling each bottle for X amount of money or each case for X amount of money. And for me, the thing that really bothers me on maybe not as deep of level as I'm going to get into later, but surface level bothers me is that their marketers have convinced the public that plastic water bottles are safe. Mm. And then we get all these stories about how many microplastics the average person ingests year after year. I think it's about a credit card's worth of plastic per year that we're just consuming. Like, where's, where do you think that comes from? Sure, some of it is going to be from pollution that gets into our vegetables or gets into animal byproducts or whatever, Mm -hmm. a lot of it's going to come from constantly putting a plastic water bottle to your lips. And, you know, like the best way to avoid that is get a reusable bottle. Yeah. Or just get a filter in your home. That's, that's a good way to do it too. If you have tap water that can be put into a filter, do it. There's a lot of good ones out there. There's a lot that, a lot of them that will, um, last a really long time that you don't have to buy filters for, you know, every other week or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I could recommend to people and yeah, just trying to reduce your, your plastic consumption in general. Um, yeah. like we've talked about on this show before too, glass is a hell of a lot better for the environment. And, um, as is 
Aluminum. Thank you. Aluminum. Um, so both of those, those two are, are your go-tos. If you are going to purchase water and you're, you know, out and about and, and don't have access to, you know, tap or anything like that. Yeah. Good point. Bringing up access and, and safety because there are plenty of communities, you know, Flint, Michigan for years and years and years, uh, Newark, New Jersey, where mm-hmm. water isn't as clean as it is in say upper West side of Manhattan where I live, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. we're, I'm talking about like an ideal situation here. And some people don't live in the ideal. So sure, I'm not going to fault people for buying plastic water bottles if that's their best option. But for a lot of us, it isn't. And for a lot of us, we've kind of just been conditioned to think that it's just as safe. It's just as good when in reality, it's not. And and the, yeah. the deeper thing I want to get into is water should be a human right. So markups and selling water for a massive profit just sucks on a moral level. Yeah, like that's that's your business you chose to like put all of your money into is just selling water. Like, I don't know. I don't understand it at a, at a crazy markup sometimes too, like Essentia or like, yeah. Um, Icelandic water or Fuji, like all Fiji, whatever the hell it's called. All of these are just like the perfect example of just overcharging for water. Yeah. And that's the thing that really gets me is the massive overcharge, right? We're talking about like something that people need to survive. It's not like you can avoid drinking water and yet people are able to just mark it up and take advantage of that and sell it at a, at a tremendous profit. So yeah, I don't know. That's just super frustrating. And like I said, check out this article. It, it really dives into some of the local politics at play here. And we, we kind of just touched on it um, for sake of time here, but yeah, go check this one out. Yeah, for sure. Free market's going to free market. All right. Our next story is the executive summary of this year's world energy outlook for 2023. Yeah, we touched on this on Friday's show. It was our last story of the day, but wanted to do a little bit more of a deep dive on some of the things that we didn't discuss. So if you missed it, we spoke about how the report calls for peak fossil fuel demand before 2030, thanks in part to a, quote, unstoppable renewable energy transition. Since we are already experiencing 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels, transitioning away from greenhouse gas emitting energy sources is key. Fossil fuel prices are being impacted by the war in Ukraine and ongoing conflict in the Middle East, which is keeping the markets, quote, tense and volatile despite being down from their 2022 peaks. Clean energy investments are up 40% since 2020, with most of the investments being in solar and electric vehicles. The world is spending more than $1 billion per day on solar energy deployment, which the IEA says is part of the reason that limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius is not impossible yet. Coal demand appears to be sharply decreasing after roughly this year, whereas oil demand seems like it will peak in 2030, but then basically plateau through 2050. It looks like it will decrease, but not by much. Yeah, and that was was a little frustrating for me, and hopefully the next point accelerates the trend of oil demand decreasing. Policies supporting clean energy are picking up the transition pace around the world. Sales of internal combustion engine cars and gas-powered residential boilers are both down, which to me is really exciting. This is in favor of electric vehicles and electric heat pumps in Europe and the U.S., The other side of this is that phasing out fossil fuels as we reach peak demand does not mean society's done investing in fossil fuels. That too will slow, but it's not going to reach zero. And that's a problem because it's going to prolong the impact fossil fuels have on our atmosphere, which is already going to linger for hundreds of years past when the last fossil fuel is burnt. 
Something exciting the report calls out is that 80% of the world's new power capacity will be from renewables by 2030. But this is only a fraction of the world's renewable potential. This specifically mentions solar as something that could dominate the energy sector for years to come. And one more thing worth noting is that no country is alone in its energy production, consumption, or in the way that it's at risk from climate change. Cooperation from the global community is going to be key in mitigating global warming. So luckily for you, we have COP28 this month. Yeah, like we always say on this show, we've probably said it hundreds of times at this point, global problems require global solutions. And it is great that we're you know, moving into EVs now. We are moving into these electric heat pumps. I feel like there's still a lot of education that needs to be done on that because people don't understand how it's going to work for them, how it's going to be more efficient for them. But I feel like Europe's kind of jumping on that quicker than we are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic here. Yeah, me too. And I, and I don't think that this news is going to be, hey, this is amazing. We're going to be under 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. That not being impossible yet doesn't mean it's likely. And I think, you know, maybe this gets us to 1.7. Maybe this gets us to 1.6 even. And every fraction of a degree matters there. Um, Yeah. I am hopeful. But, you know, I think that unfortunately this is something where right now we're above two degrees Celsius of warming trajectory. Mm -hmm. Let's get below that and then we can try to get as close as possible to 1.5. As we closed out Friday's show with, the most important thing here is that the IEA maintains that more needs to be done in order to limit the world to 1.5 degrees Celsius warming. Decarbonization is good, but we really need rapid decarbonization to prevent the worst of climate change. Well said. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back on Friday for our regularly scheduled show. Please share this episode with at least one friend. The shorter episode is a fantastic way to introduce them to TPT. Get a feel for what we're about here. Yeah, and if you are new, if somebody did share this with you, come check us out on Friday. That's what we uh, that's where we make our bread and butter, I guess you could say. Oh yeah. <laughs> Until then, you can catch the show on social media at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. We will see y'all back here on Friday. Peace.